0: Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at SevenSpringsPresbyterian.com O Lord, you are our portion, that we rest in your sweet promises found in your word. We pray that you would show forth your favor upon our hearts this very evening and be gracious to us not according to our deeds, but according to your promise, that as we contemplate your word and your ways, that our feet would turn in the direction you lead us. Help us not to be able to delay in what you have commanded us to do, but hastily turn filled with the Spirit to be able to seek to obey. Give us wisdom as you fill us with your Spirit as we look unto Christ it's in his name we pray. Amen. I'm going to read from Philippians chapter 1, uh, 3 verses 1 to 11 to help us with context. But as I said, we'll be looking at verses 1 to 3 this evening. Hear now the word Lord. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To ride the same things to you is no trouble. To me, and it is safe for you. Look out. For dogs, look out for evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision, who worship by the Spirit of God and the glory in Christ Jesus, and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. Any complex profession needs to begin at the very basis and foundation of knowledge. Those foundational blocks are essential to be able to understand, to be able to go to greater heights, to be able to understand more complex things and complexities. You seek to be able to be a good reader or a good writer, you must begin to understand the ABCs. If you do not understand the ABCs and letters, the sounds that they make, then you will never be a good reader or writer. If you never recognize that letter or know what sound it makes, how can you ever proceed any lot further? Same with math. You need to understand that just as letters make a sound and put together make words, you need to understand that a number is not about the sound that it makes, but the value that it holds, the order in which flows from it. You need to be able to understand these foundational blocks. To be able to go further down, to be able to know more, you need to grow in your wisdom and knowledge. And then maybe you might be able to get to that portion in math that none of us understand where letters become numbers and numbers become letters, the theorems and the different complexities there that lie therein. But first you need to understand the basis the foundation, that every field, those basics never change, that they're always needed to be remembered. The reality is this is true for a Christian. The gospel message is that essential core aspect of our Christian faith. We have many people that can quote many great verses, or they can Seek to be able to be knowledgeable in many aspects, but they forget that core essential truth, that foundational block, which then everything around it crumbles. The basics that you learn from such a young age, such as we are sinners in need of a Savior. However, I think often, unlike numbers or letters, you often need to be able to go back to those basics to be reminded of those foundational truths. Our sinful hearts are often quick to twist or distort the gospel, forgetting the essential factors. And it's quite often that Paul does not in his letters go down deep, complex theological weeds of confusing arguments, such as how many angels can dance on the head of a pin, or various views of infralapsarian, superlapsarian views. Often he brings the people back to the essential truth of their foundation of Christ and their faith in Christ. He reminds us of what we need to be reminded of. Now it does not then say that we need not go further in our Christian faith to be able to understand more complex things of the gospel? But we should seek to be able to go deeper and wider as Paul prays to the church in Ephesus. That as we go, we understand the love of God, the breadth, the width, the height. But we never go past the elements and the basics, truths of the gospel, the foundational truths. And this is what Paul does in Philippians chapter 3. He takes us back to the foundational truths of the gospel. So what does he teach us about these foundational truths? The first is the safe foundation. The first is the safe foundation. He says in verse 1, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. Now you might be getting your hopes up now. Finally. But as you notice, there's two chapters left need to understand something about preachers. When preachers use the word finally, often it does not mean finally as you hope it to be in the congregation. It's really another filler word to be able to say, and so on. It does not mean one last thing. For Paul here clearly has two more chapters this transitional statement going on from that great glorious chapter of chapter 2 where Christ, Paul ex- exhorts the congregation to have that mind amongst themselves of that of Christ Jesus in his humiliation and in his exaltation as they look to uh, Christ and all of their, his, uh, what he has done and accomplished as they uh, are promised of, of Timothy and Epaphroditus coming. And he tells them the foundational truth. Rejoice. In the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. This is not merely some external smile. It speaks of a deep rooting of the source of joy found in Christ Jesus. It's more than just our union with Christ. When Paul says that we are in Christ. He speaks of how the Spirit moves in the believer and we're united to Christ and all that He has done and accomplished for us. When a couple gets married, many things change, but there, there is a, an illegal, a legal sense and a shift in, in these two people. That in a moment of marriage, the debt of one becomes the debt of both. The wealth of one becomes the wealth of both. Their union, they share now a name tied together, and so too with a Christian. We are united to Christ. That our dead has been taken because of Christ's wealth. We're united to Him in His death and resurrection. Everything becomes ours. We're united united to Him in His redemption. Romans 3.24, redemption that is in Christ Jesus. We're buried with Him in Romans chapter 6. Therefore, we are buried with Him through baptism into death. We are alive to Christ in Christ. Romans 6, we have eternal life because of Christ. In Romans 6.23, the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We have no condemnation because of our union with Christ, Romans chapter 8. We're no longer slaves to sin, but we are free because of our union with Christ, Romans chapter 8. We have the inseparable love of Christ, Romans chapter 8, verse 39. We're accepted, approved in Christ because of Romans chapter 16. We're sanctified in Christ because of our union. We're wise in Christ, 1 Corinthians 1 and 4. We're established in Christ because of... uh, as God has appointed to us in Rome, in 1 Corinthians chapter, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. We're victors in Christ, 2 Corinthians chapter 2. We're a new creation in Christ, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're free in Christ, Galatians chapter 2. We're justified in Christ, Galatians chapter 2. We're blessed with every spiritual blessing, Ephesians chapter 1. We're rich in grace because of Christ, Ephesians chapter 2. We're forgiven in Christ, Ephesians chapter 4. We're consoled in Christ, Philippians chapter 2. We are perfected, completed in Christ, Colossians chapter 1. We are strong and graced because of our union with Christ, 2 Timothy chapter 2. We are saved in Christ, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 10. We are bold in Christ because of Philemon 1.8. We're prisoners in Christ, Philemon chapter 1. We are preserved in Christ, Jude. We're righteous in Christ, Second Corinthians 5. We're chosen in Christ, Ephesians chapter 1. We have an inheritance because of Christ, Ephesians chapter 1. We're walking in Christ, 1 John 2 and Colossians 2. We're complete in Christ, Colossians chapter 2. And we have hope in Christ, 1 John chapter 3. So when Paul says that we rejoice in Christ, it's not that we ourselves have joy that we need to put joy on. It is joy that is found in Christ that has been given to us. Our hope and our joy, our life, our redemption, our salvation, our inheritance, all of this is because we have been united to Him. And we often think that the joy is something of an outward smile that we put on our face, as fruit on a tree. But Paul is saying it is not that, for he is clearly in a different situation where he has tears in his eyes as he almost lost his beloved brother, Epaphroditus. But joy is not this external outward emotion in which we need to plaster on our face. That joy is rooted in the depths of our being as we are united to Christ. It's not the water that has filled the cup. It's the source of the water that fills the cup. And that is found in Christ Jesus. And Paul reminds the church in Philippi that what we need to be reminded of. That joy is not external. Why? Because we wouldn't have a lot to have joy, to be joyous over. The church had sent forth Epaphroditus to be able to go into the nations, to be able to proclaim the gospel, to be able to give Paul a gift, and yet he's coming home. Seemingly, what a, a failure. Paul, their beloved founding pastor, is in prison, probably awaiting death. Paul is not sure if he's going to return to them. Why would they have joy in this situation? The church has got this conflict between these two women and and they're fighting. And why would you have joy in that situation? But it's not the joy that is external. It's the joy that's internal found in Christ Jesus. And so Paul says that they are to rejoice in the Lord. But he continues in verse 1 to explain that to write the same thing over and over and over is not a burden to me. To remind you over and over again is not a burden to you. It is safe for you that safe foundation to be reminded that our joy comes not from our circumstances. As Paul will say in Philippians chapter 4, that he has found it to be content no matter where he is at. And so too, we need this reminder when the phone call comes, when it's not good news. We need this reminder when we hear of someone we love and how they're walking away from God, we need this reminder. When our circumstances are not found and and a smile is immediately put on our faces, Paul is not saying rejoice in the Lord, pretend that those things never happen. He's saying that our joy does not come from those things happening. Our joy comes because we are found in Christ. That we are Christ and Christ is ours. The second reminder of the foundational blocks we need to be reminded of is this dangerous mutilation. This dangerous mutilation. See this clearly in verse 2 where Paul warns them three times to be able to look out. Look out for dogs, look out for evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Paul turns from the, the positive of rejoicing in our rootedness, in our union to Christ. But now he speaks of those who are seeking to be able to find joy in external situations. He gives these three warnings. Actually, it's a brilliant passage in Greek. He uses the same word, beware, three times. And then gives three Greek Words that start with K. The dogs where we get the word canine from and two other Greek words there. And he first says, beware of dogs. And what he's not saying is how we understand dogs. Nice little fluffy things that we buy sweaters for and give uh, glorious haircuts that cost an arm and a leg that probably eat better than most people have ever eaten in their world. He's not talking about those cute and cuddly dogs that have pet insurance and different things like that. He's talking about those mangy dogs, stray dogs that no one owns, no one wants to own, the dogs on the very outskirts of town who possibly carry all the diseases. Often dogs is is a term to be able to degrade someone. Or more often than not, it speaks of those who are outside the walls of the city. Dogs would go and eat the trash that has been thrown out. That was in Matthew chapter 25 when the woman comes up and asks for her daughter to be healed. And Jesus turns around and basically calls this woman a dog and says, is it not right to be able to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs? And she said, yes, Lord, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. An outsider she was. And so too, Paul is warning for all those who are outside. Beware of those people. The wolves that come in dressed in sheep's clothing. The second beware, he says, is beware of evildoers. Here, it, quite clearly, it just says wrong workers. He uses the word worker quite often throughout Philippians. He uses it of Epaphroditus, the, the fellow worker in the gospel. They're to work out their salvation with fear and trembling. But here, there's a different type of work that is happening. These workers are not working for their salvation. They're not working with the the fruit or the heart of the gospel as Epaphroditus is. The work they're trying to do is the evil work, the, the wrong type of work. They're not apathetic. They're apathetic, they... They're apathetic to holiness. They're apathetic to godliness. They're apathetic to study. What I actually mean by that is that when we think of these wrong workers, we often think that they're just outside deliberately saying, go away, turn away from God's Word, follow your heart and your desires. But often what is happening in these these contexts is they're actually well-knowledgeable actually live godly lives on the external factors They actually look like they'd be great neighbors to have we often read about the pharisees and we think that there's some evil wicked people but as society would come they would be great people to be able to know great neighbors great politicians Their sin wasn't something that was apparent to everyone else. They looked godly. They looked holy. They, they studied the Word of God. But yet, their work was evil. Their hearts were turned from God. last warning here, Paul says in verse 2, is to beware of those who mutilate the flesh, the mutilators. Here they turned and they said that if you are going to be saved it has to be through circumcision. We have not got this problem. Never been a part of a church where this has been a discussion about church membership. Never been a question that we have asked have to ask. But here this Is something that many people seek to be able to boast in. Works outside of Christ. As we'll see next week as as Paul spells out all of his glorious resume in which he he claims that he has a reason to be able to boast. Again, those things are somewhat foreign to us. But how many of us would boast in, in our church membership? How many of us would boast in, in our deeds that we do, our good, good deeds that we do for our neighbors and our friends? How many of us would boast in our, in our righteousness or look to others and think of their wicked deeds and think we are greater than them? Again, we're just changing the, the factor there that it's not through circumcision, but it's through attendance, it's through tithing, it's through giving, it's through doing. It's through studying, it's through memorizing, whatever it might be, that, that we're we're mutilating the way of salvation. We need not Christ. And Paul warns the church that, that as we rejoice in Christ, we forget that it's not. We turn to outsiders or we turn to evildoers or we turn to mutilators of the flesh. But we see the third foundational truth that we need to understand. That we have a secure circumcision. Verse 3 says, For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. He says that here are these people, these these people who mutilate the flesh, we need to be careful of them. We don't need to mutilate the flesh because we are the circumcision. What does that mean? We are the circumcision. Well, Paul spells it out quite clearly, I think in Galatians chapter 5, where he writes, for freedom of Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that I... If you accept circumcision, Christ will be no advantage to you. I testify again that to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, have you have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. The gory image of circumcision, something being cut off, and Paul flips it and says, well, if you seek to be able to find your justification through keeping the law, then even if you try and keep one of those laws of circumcision, then you need to keep all the other 613 laws to be able to fulfill that promise of keeping the law. And if you seek to be able to do that, you will be cut off from Christ. You, need, you don't need Christ to save you. You don't need grace to save you. And he says it doesn't matter if you're circumcised or uncircumcised. The point is if you have faith in Christ. That is true circumcision. Whereas Paul writes in Colossians chapter 2, In him, again union to Christ, you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. By putting off the body of flesh, by the circumcision of Christ, have been buried with him in baptism, in which you are also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. That here, you have been circumcised, but it's not a circumcision made with hands. It's a circumcision made by the Spirit. The circumcision, the separation is that we're put off from the flesh. The desires, and that's what Paul's point is later in the chapter, in chapter 3, is that we have no confidence in the flesh. We seek not to be able to uphold the law. As Paul spells out, if anyone was to be saved by the law, Paul would have been first in line. But he says he counts everything as loss for the gain of Christ. And because we have been circumcised, then we seek to be able to worship by the Spirit. As we have put off that flesh and our confidence in the flesh is gone, now we worship only through the Spirit. As Jesus spells out clearly, in John chapter 3 is the woman who comes to Him at the well. And He says the hour is coming and is now here where the true worshipers, Will worship the spirit, Father in spirit and truth. But the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. But this has been the, the story all along that no one is ever saved through circumcision, the outward work. It's always the inward reality of what Christ is has done and the Spirit has applied. In Deuteronomy chapter 30, as they're about to cross into the promised land, here Moses speaks and says that the Lord will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring, so that you will love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul that you may live. That worship is found not in the the external fruit of the tree, but in the, uh, the, the root found in Christ as we worship the Father through the Son by the Spirit. As we present ourselves to the Lord as a living sacrifice that is holy and acceptable to God, which is our spiritual worship. And we need to be reminded that it's not about the external realities in which we seek to be able to perceive, the the fake smile we put on our face, the the deeds that we seek to be able to do. It's the inward reality of what we have found in our union to Christ. That leads us to our second-to-last point that we boast in Christ. We boast not in what we have done. We boast only in what God has done for us. That we glory in what Christ and the Lord Jesus Christ himself. We don't boast in our own wisdom or in our own might or our own riches But Jeremiah 9 spells out, that we boast in this. That he who understands and knows me, that he is the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For these things I delight, declares the Lord. That we don't boast in what we have done in the flesh, but we boast in who God is as we seek to be able to know and understand Him. And this is Paul's point later in Philippians chapter 3, that he sits there and he explains that he does not boast, he counts everything for loss, so that surpassing worth of knowing Christ. He counts them all rubbish in order that he may gain Christ. That righteousness which comes through faith in Christ. The power of the resurrection which comes through Christ's resurrection. That if we were to boast in anything, let it not be what we have done, but boast in Christ. Boast in the Lord. Paul in Ephesians 2 says that it is by grace that we have been saved through faith. It's not of your own doing. It's a gift of God. Not a result of works so that no one may boast. And finally, we have confidence in Christ. That there in the end of verse 3, we put no confidence in the flesh, as Paul will clearly spell out. But all our confidence is found in Christ. What He has done. The life that He lived, not the life that we have lived. The death that He has died, not the death that we will die. All of it is bound in our confidence in Him. Irenaeus says, unless it has been God who has freely given salvation, we could never have possessed it securely. Unless man has been joined to God, he could never have become a partaker of incorruptibility. For it was incumbent upon the mediator between God and men by his relationship to both to bring both to friendship and to concord and present man to God while he revealed God to man. We boast not in ourselves. We rejoice not in ourselves. We look not to ourselves for salvation or outside for those outside but we boast in the lord we have confidence in the lord we worship by the lord and we rejoice in the lord let us go to the lord in prayer let us pray O glorious and almighty father we give you thanks and praise that you are the one who sent forth your son lord that we might be adopted as sons that we might have our union to Christ through the work of the Spirit, that nothing in our hands we bring but only to the cross we cling. Lord, let us rest in this promise. We look only to Christ for our salvation and what he has done and accomplished for us and applied to us through the work of the Spirit. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. Seven Springs Presbyterian Church began in 1874 and is a congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America located in Glade Spring, Virginia. Please join us for worship on Sunday at 10 a.m. and 6 p.m. for His glory and His gospel.